Wait, I just need a countdown. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had this power. All right. Three. Three, two, two one. one. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, who's taking a big old gulp of water right now. Uh, his name is Christian Ubius. Christian, finish that sip, and then say hi to the people listening along at home. Hi, people. <laughs> Folks, this is an auspicious day for the Cinema Drip Podcast. What does the word auspicious mean? Auspicious, it means it is a big day, an exciting day. You don't know what it means. Auspicious. You don't know what it means. Auspicious. An auspicious day, for example, is a is a meaningful day. It's a day where something important happens. So auspicious means that something Here, meaningful is happening. That's probably what the word means. But you've never looked at the definition of auspicious. No, but I've heard people use it before, and I am repeating it, Christian. You're it means conducive. it's conducive to success. <laughs> Today is a day that will be conducive to success for the Son of Drip podcast. And that is because for the very first time in all our many months of recording this wonderful show, Christian and I are sitting across from the table looking at each other in person, recording into one microphone. Christian, I am invigorated right now, and that is a word. I know what it means. How do you feel, my friend? When I want to strangle you, I no longer need to imagine it. Folks, that is on the record. <laughs> If I'm found somewhere strangled, you know it was Christian. Uh, I would like to say a big, big thank you to Christian's family who got him a microphone for a gift and that allows us to now record both of us at the same time. So big thank you to the UVU's family. We're very excited to actually be sitting across the table from each other because now we can stare at each other <laughs> in our actual eyes, not just our Zoom eyes. But Christian, of course, we are coming back after a pretty long break. And I think it feels a little longer because we took a pause after recording and then the episode ended up dropping, but it's been a long time. How have you been, my friend? I'll pretend that we don't keep in regular communication. I mean, I've been, I've been fine. I have been working, and uh, also I went to Disney. I went to Disneyland for the first time. Won a very cute Wally plush, I must no. say. <laughs> Oh God bless Wally. <laughs> that 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 new stuffed toy I have is is one of the best things in my room. So you've got a summer job. You have a new uh, stuffed animal to snuggle at night. It's been a, it's been a good July. Wally is not like. an animal. Stuffed robot to snuggle at night. It's been a good July. It sounds like. Uh, how did your movie watching go, Christian? I honestly not bad i also okay movie watching pretty good caught up on a lot of 2021 stuff i hadn't seen yet uh also caught up on some tv can't lie yeah tv took a took a cool little uh, saw a lot and saw good stuffs so it it's i have been enjoying expanding my horizons ah yes not just movies but tv as well me me and the missus were also fitting in tv and i gotta say i think my favorite 2021 like new tv show is probably hacks on hbo max did you get a chance to watch that no it, it, it's on the ever-growing list ah yes what was your 2021 discovery then on the tv end at least i uh, yeah. I don't know if 
any of the stuff I've seen is 2021 specific. I mean, I've seen all three Marvel shows this year. Sure. Okay. That's 2021 specific. That, that is 2021 specific. Um, I finally saw 2020's I May Destroy You, which is a very difficult watch in a good way. It, so it it's it's something I recommend, but it's also something that's like, yeah, it, oh, this is... Know what you're getting into. Yeah. yeah. Um, sexual assault warning for everyone who is trying to check it out. But honestly, I mean, the new season of Ted Lasso is, is going off not bad right now. Hallelujah. The, the, the new season of... It already ended, but the new season of Mythic Quest. Amazing. I'm a big fan of that show. So, yeah. Amazing. I I enjoyed fitting in some 2021 movies as well, in addition to the television. Caught up on some some winners, which I'm excited to talk about as we get into this episode. Caught up on some stinkers as well, but what can you do? That's how it goes. And and a lot in between. You can stop watching. <laughs> what can you do? You, it's not a movie. Well. <laughs> a movie needs to be really, really bad for me. Like, it needs to make me cry that I'm wasting my time. I have a, a, a huge problem with stopping a movie before it's over, which is probably a character flaw, if anything. I just feel committed to, to finishing movies once I start them. But a TV show, you can stop after an episode. Oh, TV shows, yes, you can stop. But I was talking about movies in particular. Stinkers and movies. TV, I, I get out. <laughs> Don't worry about me there. I'm just saying I watched the entirety of Army of the Dead and I hugely regretted it. <laughs> I liked Army of the Dead, y'all. You you guys can go watch it. You'll get something out of it, maybe. And maybe you won't, in which case you can find you know me what? and maybe, we can maybe you discuss won't. amongst ourselves. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece. <laughs> but, Christian, of course, this episode is not Top 5 Stinkers of 2021. This episode is our Top 5 of 2021 so far. This was a really fun episode that we did last year, taking a look at some of the movies that we were enjoying in 2020 during the midst of that hell year, especially as theaters were closed and we were getting fewer and fewer big new releases. And so some smaller movies got to shine and we had some of those on our list, of course. Now here in 2021, it is a mix of things. We have big movies, we have small movies, we have direct-to-streaming, we have only in theaters. So once again, Everything's going crazy in the movie world, and tons of new movies are coming out, and there are so many that I wish I could have caught up with that we'll, we'll share a few of those in a moment here, but I'm excited to get into our lists. Christian, when you looked over your list and then mine, did anything stand out and surprise you? Anything you want to tantalize the listeners with? The, the, we, well, we shared no movie. <laughs> la, la, last year, for our top five list, we showed two. For our top... 20 list we shared several well in, in our top 10 i think we specifically shared three i believe three or four something like that but it, it's we we're going in kind of different directions now i don't know if i don't know what that might mean maybe it's just that we have a ton of movies coming out right now uh maybe not who knows one thing that i did notice is that we have some movies in common that are maybe on our six through ten some movies that are honorable mentions for you that appear on my list, honorable mentions for me that appear on yours. So maybe it's just some different priorities showing on our lists, things that I like more, that was more valuable for me, that you appreciated but didn't necessarily see the same way. I'm thinking of my number one in particular. There, there, there are a couple of movies on your list that I, that I, you thought I wouldn't enjoy, but that I did. 
So it's not, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we will get into it momentarily. Uh, we're going to have a few extra categories here. So the first one just being something we mentioned a moment ago, but just movies we missed. Christian, do you have any regrets for movies that you weren't able to catch up with? So if somebody listening along is thinking, what, Christian would have loved this? Why is it on his list? But you didn't see it. Is there anything that stood out for you where you just said, dang it, I couldn't fit it in? Well, first of all, if you're at home and you're thinking that, you can email me at any time. Uh <laughs> I mean, I, I do wish I would have seen Old. Now, I'm not really thinking I'm going to love Old, but I do think that, it, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's interesting. <laughs> I have the exact same feeling. I don't think it would have been on my top five list, but I wish that I could have seen it before this episode, <laughs> just so I could have known. The, I mean, the, the, the major movie that I do wish I had seen, that I know you've seen, is Summer of Soul. That, the Questlove documentary. Now, that's, that's the... There, there are a couple more. Like, I do wish I would have seen Pig, <laughs> which same. is a Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, I, again, I honestly don't know if Pig would have made my list. Maybe. I have a, an interesting relationship with Nicolas Cage that I think everyone has. <laughs> we, all, we all relate to Nicolas Cage in our own special way. <laughs> where, where you really need to ask yourself the question... Is Nicolas Cage good? I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. In some respects, he has to be because he's an Oscar-winning actor. He's been acting in Hollywood for decades, and yet he his recent career developments have been very unusual. You can't call the, the past part. twenty years recent. Well, not twenty years. He was making movies like National Treasure less than twenty years ago, which was just a big normal Disney blockbuster, and he was he was still an A-list person for most of the 2000s it's when the 2010s started he kind of dipped into his weird direct-to-video crime action movies you did that christian movie oh he did left behind he, now look this is true <laughs> I, I i do believe in the apocalypse do i believe in that movie no <laughs> one day christian we can do a faith-based blend of the month well, we can take a look so at nicholas cage's fine work <laughs> left behind uh th that's it for me i think i also hit some of yours anything else you did i wish i could have seen pig there are two major ones a few movies that didn't get a great critical or audience reception but that i still wish i could have seen something like without remorse with michael b jordan that i wanted to see mostly for him uh two movies that i wish i could have fit in before this that you didn't mention number one being malcolm and marie I missed the buzz on that, despite really enjoying John David Washington, and I like Zendaya. I'm not her biggest fan, but she's she's great. And I had, don't know why I didn't watch it. Actually, part of that reason is because I thought my wife would have wanted to have watched it with me, and then when I raised it to her... You can't blame it on the wife. I'm not. I'm saying when I raised it to her, she was like, oh, I don't really care, and then I, <laughs> I said, shoot, and I still didn't fit it in, so that's on me. The other one that I wish I had seen before this uh, is <laughs> that I have not yet watched the Snyder Cut. Which I was looking forward to with the rest of the world. Not nearly as much as most DC fanboys, but I wish I could have seen I've it. I've seen the Snyder Cut. It's not bad. It should have ended like a half hour earlier. But like, mm. here's the thing. It's, All four hours or whatever it is didn't do but it for Here's you. the thing. Three and a half hours did it for me. It, 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 I, don't, I don't think it's a cinematic masterpiece. Gotcha. But I, 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 I'm like, this is enjoyable. I... I think here, okay, I think Zack Snyder just needs a screenwriter. Because <laughs> I don't hate his directing. He's, I mean, he's definitely known to have a particular style. He is very much a stylist, and he 
people ape his style. The the morose, serious, dramatic, big action blockbusters with mopey male protagonists. He that is his thing, and people have stolen it from him. Obviously, movies made in its wake, but he can be very hit or miss. And I mentioned I did not like Army of the Dead at all. I I didn't like the original Justice League, but I was encouraged by some of the reviews I was seeing about Snyder Cut, both from from fans and from critics, and so wanted to check it out, but for whatever reason, I couldn't commit to the four hours. So maybe come my top ten of 2021, I'll have changed my tune and seen the glory of the Snyder Cut. But until then, Christian, we get to dive into our top five of the year so far. So without further ado, I'm just going to pass it over to you, and you can kick it off with your number five. Number five is Demon Slayer Mugen Trade. And you either know it or you don't in the sense that you've either binged the 2019 show Demon Slayer, that's a Japanese anime that's currently on Netflix, or you have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this movie is is picks off directly where the first season lets off. And... I find it interesting in that this isn't operating like a direct-to-video sequel, which is what in the past movies that tie into TV shows would have done. This is a dark fantasy action film, is is what the Wikipedia entry says, and even that is is so incredibly accurate. And I know you haven't seen the show, and I know you haven't seen this movie. It's... It, it, the the basic premise is that we're operating in feudal Japan or somewhere alongside feudal Japan, and demons are are out there, <laughs> just like real life. And one guy goes to a nearby village to collect coal to bring back to his family. Comes back, finds his family dead, except for his sister. His sister is still alive, and so he takes her to try and find help. But she's actually, when a demon attacks you. And you don't die, you turn into a demon. Yeah. And so that's... <laughs> you know, the, the show is wild. And I don't know what I went into this movie thinking. Now, this movie technically came out in 2020 in Japan, but because of COVID, it couldn't come out in the US until 2021. And it is everything that I wanted in a movie. It's, it's weird. It's... All the best parts of the show are that it uh, they're great action scenes. They're great fantasy scenes. Like, the number one thing about animation is that you should do with animation what you can't do with real life. There's magic in this show. There's demons with weird powers in this show. It's incredibly fast-paced. And I honestly think someone could watch this movie without watching the show and enjoy it. Hmm. And for me to come out of that movie thinking that made me think, they did it. They did. They did something right. They did do something right. So I do. I I put it in here. It's something I wouldn't normally watch, and I'm glad that because of the show uh, recommended by our mutual friend Jordan Brown, I was able to watch and then was able to watch this movie. I I do recommend it to people. You know, I I recommend people at least check out the show if you're not a fan of anime. I, I don't know. It's good action. If you're not a fan of anime, of anime, but you like action, you should watch it. And if you are a fan of anime, this is considered one of the best of the 2010s. So, uh, that, yeah, it's my number five. Awesome. I had seen Demon Slayer Mugen Train available to me at Cinemark. Having not seen the show, and I probably hadn't even heard of the show before the movie came out and I heard about it. 
I, I just had no interest, but your glowing recommendation is, stands out to me. And I, I mean, no, I'm always working on different shows here and there, but maybe I can fit in Demon Slayer and then catch up with the movie. My number five, Christian, is also animated. It also, uh, though it is an American film, it is Asian-inspired, so there's a little bit of a connection there. And it's a movie that I understand you did not like as much, so I am I'm curious to hear some of your complaints here now fully fully explained on the podcast. If I could fight you about one of the movies on your list, it'd be this one. Which is amazing, because I know we have already been fighting about something else on my list, so let's get into this new fight. <laughs> my number five is Raya and the Last Dragon. One of Disney's releases this year, directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada, with a screenplay from Ki Nguyen and Adele Lim, with a lot of inspiration from Southeast Asian cultures. Uh, has a large vocal cast, but the two main players are Kelly Marie Tran as Raya and Aquafina as the titular Last Dragon, Sisu. So, Raya and the Last Dragon, if you somehow have not seen it or even heard of it, follows Raya and Sisu as they attempt to stop this threat that has taken over the land of Spine. And this threat causes people essentially to turn into stone statues. It steals their soul or spirit, something like that. I'm sorry, I can't recall that specific detail. But Raya and Sisu have to go on a quest to try to reunite the different regions of Spine to stand up against this threat. Now, I did have some qualms while I was watching the movie. I, I've, I know that it is a little bit underwritten. I will accept that. I will put that out there and say it myself. It's a little bit underwritten. It doesn't go as deep with Raya and her development, especially as I wish that they would have. Um, she does get a lot of growth and development over the course of the movie. I wish that they could have spent a little more time on it. Uh, However, the world of Raya and the Last Dragon is just so wonderful to me. It's a true fantasy adventure with magic and dragons and people, young and old, getting caught up in this big, grand adventure. And there's this great motif, I guess you can call it, where, of course, Raya is adding to her adventuring party, essentially, throughout the movie, and we come to realize that she is essentially gathering one person from each of the five regions, named after different parts of a dragon. And it's stuff like that that you pick on, pick up on that's just very classic fantasy adventure. And before I continue to heap praise in this movie, Christian, I do want to know, uh, for me, this is obviously just a warm and winning and fun family fantasy adventure, and I was just totally caught up the whole time, even though I did pick up on some problems. But I want to know, what didn't work about Raya for you? I thought it was superficial. Uh, superficial. Which I think fits into the it being underwritten. I think that there were also plot holes. Like, there's a moment near the end of the film where someone comes back <laughs> and they shouldn't have i see because it made no sense do you know what part i'm talking about uh there is there are some there are multiple moments where people come back i think i know who you're referring to but i'm not entirely because, sure because it, it 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 made no sense do you want me to just spoil I mean, do you want me to spoil okay. it without saying names? We will say here. Here you go. Uh, mild spoiler alert for Ryan the Last Dragon. If you haven't seen it, I, Christian's going to provide some clarity. <laughs> so go for it. The dragon dies. And when they put the pieces back together, all the stone dragons come back to life. And the dragon also comes back. Bingo. But the dragon had died. So why is the dragon back? 
You know, Christian, there's this concept called suspension of disbelief. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but... When I, I accept that there are dragons. <laughs> I accept that there are dragons. I'm... You know? You know? You like the movie? Sure. Sure, you like the movie. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, that 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 is a fair plot hole. I'm not one to necessarily pick on plot holes, but I, to be fair, that is a little bit... A little bit sizable. More than just a nitpick, I understand. I would have to, I guess, rewatch it because that particular moment is a little bit fuzzy for me. But plot holes, superficiality aside, Ryan the Last Dragon definitely worked for me. And I do want to say part of the part of the reason I loved this movie so much is the ending uh, just like destroyed me uh, emotionally. And when I say destroyed me emotionally, I mean, my wife and I went to see this at the drive-in and I was driving and we were trying to like leave as the credits were rolling, but I was still uncontrollably sobbing, <laughs> like catching my breath, which is uh, quite a thing to admit on this very public podcast. But I bring it up because Christian and I have mentioned that we are people of faith on this podcast before. And there's this concept in Christianity um, that at the end of time, after everything, that all people of the earth will come together, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And there is a through line of that togetherness and diversity in this movie that really, really moved me. And it comes together at the end in a really beautiful way. And just, it was one of those moments that tugged at my heartstrings in a very specific way. And I'm sure we've all had those moments, whether it would be with connecting to our faith or our home culture or our ethnic culture, whatever that would be. And so for me, that was one of those moments. And it just... And, it that, got and that's fair. So this is definitely uh, a, a Homer pick <laughs> where I, I made me cry, and so I love it. And it'll probably be that case until I can watch with my own kids someday. So Okay, but your number four is also <laughs> like a selfish pick. <laughs> selfish pick? Get out of here. My number four is Sterling. But we're going to wait for that, Christian, because we're going to go to your number four right now. My number four is a documentary called The Glitch in the Matrix, directed by Rodney Asher. <laughs> that uh, came out in Sundance this year, but it wasn't one of the films I was able to watch, um, and is currently available to stream on Hulu if you want to watch it. Now, a glitch in the Matrix has to do with simulation theory, and if you don't know what simulation theory is, it's the the idea that we are all... Um, we're all part of, like, a larger machine, larger cog, and we are unaware of, like, this larger machine that we're inhabiting. If you've ever seen The Matrix, it's the same thing. It's basically we're all trapped in The Matrix and we can accept that we can go along the everyday life as like the grand overlords have set out for us. But what are the implications of leaving it? Like, are we actually all asleep on a spaceship that's hurtling towards the sun and we need to wake up and turn that spaceship around? Or is it just that we're asleep and that's okay? Now... This is kind of a dark movie. It's it's kind of it, it's fascinating. It uses a lot of CGI to some of the individuals here who were um, interviewed about their takes in simulation theory actually get CGI'd into video game characters to maintain their anonymity and also to further the idea that video games and the idea of non-playable characters in video games have supported simulation theory. Um, it does a lot with visual effects in order to present what would it mean like to to live in a world like uh, Truman Show-esque. Everything around you is fake and the only person who doesn't know it is you. That in and of itself is fascinating. But there's this... What got me about this movie is that throughout all the interviews, 
and throughout all the people in the past who got brought up and the matrix itself and the clips from the matrix and philip k dick and blade runner um there was a desire from these people to find out the truth because they felt that by finding out that truth there was like a longing to add purpose to what was going on in their lives and in 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 a different way this is kind of my faith pick <laughs> whereas yours was raya in the sense that i watched this movie and i thought to myself i completely get this idea and longing for purpose and the idea that there's got to be more than where we're at it's dark in the sense of the implications of living in a simulation are very very difficult to grapple with and it can can lead to very dark things and people with mental illnesses have subscribed to simulation theory also to, and if with crippling effects you know the one scene that i'm mentioning with that is just just harrowing to to listen to i it's a deeply sad movie but it's one that just gets you thinking about life and those out there who who want better so that's my that's my number four i know that you've seen it yes i did watch a glitch in the matrix it was the last movie that i watched before we recorded this podcast i wanted to fit it in and in terms of the just the whole sense of style that Rodney Asher brings, the look of this movie is incredible. And there's so much work put into recreating some of these simulation ideas or the CGI characters. Just the the visuals are so engaging. And that can be a challenge with documentary, obviously, where you're using a lot of talking head interviews or you're looking at a lot of archive footage or you're you know, exploring a place with somebody walking you through it. But the way that they incorporate CGI in particular is really, really cool. And a ton of effort was poured into it. So absolutely kudos to the people um, who helped work on this movie outside of Rodney Asher. Uh, his, his crew did a fantastic job. I, I did come away from this movie just so torn mentally because part of me you know you come to a documentary to learn and don't watch a particular documentary about a particular subject and then get mad <laughs> at the subject if you came to it then you know you should be contented to with it but simulation theory as an idea is something that i just struggle to care about <laughs> which like i get i'm an npc like <laughs> i accept that um, I'm just I'm just following my coding. I'm trying to resist people resisting the simulation. In the Matrix, you are not Neo. <laughs> no, I'm not Neo. But it's I like some of the ideas that they talk about that some simulation theorists ascri like ascribe to. Like for example, in video games, it's understood that in the giant world that your player character is put into, not everything is running at once. Sometimes characters stop their actions, and then when you run the corner, they decoding of the game tells them to pick it back up again and that's an idea that some people believe happens here on earth where not everywhere on earth is fully functioning 24 7 365 that the simulation knows to shut down that section of rainforest once there's no people around or that certain people t-pose in their bedrooms or whatever and that that's the kind of the limits of simulation theory where they lose me there are other parts of it that i thought were really fascinating and that part that you were talking about this longing for purpose and some of these people who've really invested a lot of their time and energy in understanding and exploring this idea come to a conclusion where they all realize, okay, how does this affect the way that I treat other people? And it felt like most of the people interviewed 
the best of my recollection, all came to a pretty like humanistic understanding of how we should relate to one another. And I thought that stuff that when they explored it was was really interesting and, and thought provoking. Uh, so you know, not the best documentary I've ever seen, but I'm glad that you had me watch it because it was going to be on your list. So that is Glitch in the Matrix. Any final thoughts on that, Christian? Before we get to my number four, no, just that it's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. So my number four, I also think, is on Hulu. It is. It is on Hulu. <laughs> Christian mentioned it was a selfish pick. I wouldn't say it's selfish. You know, it's my list. I'm allowed to do what I want with it. But it is absolutely a movie that I fell head over heels in love with. And <laughs> that movie is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which was directed by Josh Greenbaum from a screenplay by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, who also star. Uh, it also features Jamie Dornan and Damon Wayans Jr., among others, in small supporting roles. If you have not seen Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, I, I implore you, I implore you to watch this movie, especially if you are having a bad day. <laughs> it is probably the single funniest movie I've watched in a very long time. It follows Kristen Wiig as Barb and Annie Mamolo as Star. I got that backwards. Kristen Wiig is Star and <laughs> is Barb. Two friends living life in the Midwest and they're about middle-aged. Neither of them have settled down or they're no longer married. And they always talk about taking a trip that they never do. Of course, they, they ultimately get the kick in the pants they need to go to Vistal, Vista Del Mar, Florida. Of course, a, a gorgeous vacation destination. <laughs> One that you must, you must visit if you are from the Midwest. And that could have been an interesting enough comedy, as it were. Just having these two get into different sketches, essentially, or little vignettes, make a comedy out of these two Midwestern yokels in Florida. But, of course, there is an added element that makes this movie the brilliant comedy that it is, and that is that Kristen Wiig plays a dual role as a villain who, I don't know if her name is said in the movie, but her name, as credited, is Sharon Fisherman. Very evil name if I have ever heard one. And she is hatching an evil plot to attack Vista Del Mar specifically with genetically modified mosquitoes. <laughs> and so... The two of them intersecting with this criminal plot leads to, of course, hijinks ensuing and much comedy. Uh, Christian, this movie, like I said, is probably one of the funniest movies I've seen in a very long time. I cannot recommend it enough. I I wish I could describe the sense of humor. I'm going to try, but first I want to ask, what were your thoughts as I did, of course, make you watch this movie? I know about the HPV. <laughs> No cursing, unless it's the F word. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I enjoyed this movie. I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's also a very um, WTF movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's, it's just a feel-good movie where everything is pleasant. Um, if I had one complaint... I don't know what accent Jamie Dornan is going for. His natural accent? <laughs> his speaking voice? Is that really his speaking voice? He's a Northern Irish person. <laughs> Just using his normal... It, it, it felt like an Irishman doing... Trying to go for something. <laughs> He's just Irish. <laughs> sure? Wow. <laughs> that is how under the spell of Barb and Star you were, Christian. 
Uh, but let's talk about Jamie Dornan. Obviously, we know Kristen Wiig and Annie Mamolo, but Jamie Dornan, to most people, is Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey. Obviously, I've not seen that movie. Nor have I. He's not, not a very funny guy. Um, but in this movie... <laughs> And then Jamie Dornan's just a wooden knob. In this movie, Jamie Dornan becomes the long uh, becomes the newest member to a growing club of really hunky Hollywood actors who play completely stupid for the sake of these big broad comedies. And he is so funny in this movie. In particular, getting a musical number sung on the beach that comes out of nowhere. And he, uh, it is definitely one of the highlights of the movie. Christian, what'd you think of him? Uh, your problems with his speaking voice aside, I, th- I, th- I thought he was fine. I, no, no, because here's the thing: I like the movie mainly just because of Kristen Wiig and the writing. And yes, Andy Mavolo was great, but it, it, I don't know. For me, it was Kristen Wiig. She does more, obviously, playing the villain as well. She does get a little more screen time. So it, it's it what it's um, he, he's fine. The whole uh, romantic <laughs> the thing. That, that he's in is... You, you bet that Jamie Dornan's character gets in a romantic entanglement with Barb and Star. Yeah, they're entangled in several different ways. Indeed. Indeed they are. Uh, there, there obviously is, is so much to this movie that I don't want to say too much on because I want you to discover some of the absurd humor and sometimes Yo, even fully that beginning is really good, though. <laughs> that beginning on the bike, that's a good beginning. Yes. It is, featuring a, a young boy on a paper route who becomes much more involved in this movie than you might expect. Um, but there's so many moments in this movie that are so funny, and I already can't wait to return to them as soon as I inevitably watch this with uh, with my wife again. So if you need a laugh, I cannot recommend Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar strongly enough. Uh, like Christian said, it is streaming on Hulu, and it is truly hilarious. Please go watch it and encounter... Uh, the wonderful person that is Trish. Um, you will know what I mean when you when you get off the airplane. Just just learn about Trish. We all could use a Trish in our life. Christian, what's your number three? So, I I want to preface this by saying that there's a theory going around that I hate Marvel. There's a theory going around that you hate Marvel. Yeah, there's a rumor. Ah, I don't know who started it. It was my roommates, or I think maybe it was Keaton and Kaysen. Who knows? <laughs> the Hollywood Week podcast. Working against us. We knew it. Uh, I don't hate Marvel. I want that to be clear. Let it be known. Now, Black Widow is my number three. Uh, and some people may take that to mean I do hate Marvel. I don't know. <laughs> now, written by Eric... Well, screenplay by Eric Pearson. A story by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson. And directed by Kate Shortland. This is the Black Widow standalone movie. That had been, I don't know, that we had been anticipating for a long, long time at this point. Uh, postponed, obviously, because of COVID three, four times, maybe. And finally was able to make its way out this year on both Disney Plus and in theaters. I have seen this movie three times. Uh, not be- Okay, look, I really enjoyed this movie. I saw it three times because I, I had to for, for to, with friends and stuff. Don't worry. And yet, I did... I, I do believe that the best Marvel movies are the ones that stand on their own and don't rely on the Marvel lore, though maybe add to the Marvel lore. And I think this does that because Black Widow boils down to a basically Russian spy movie 
that stars Scarlett Johansson, stars Florence Pugh, and David Harbour, and Rachel Weisz, and is so just kind of pleasant and enjoyable and a good theater-going experience to watch a weird spy family unit go and take down a weird spy Russian bad guy. And is is I honestly do want to give it to Kate Shirley, who directed this incredibly well. The action set pieces, I think, are phenomenal. I think are up there with some of the best that Marvel has done. And... The, the I mean, the villain isn't the best villain, but I've always cared about the hero more than the villain. And I think that what they do with Black Widow and what they do with Florence Pugh and rearing her up to enter the Marvel Universe is fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I, I, I really did. And having seen it three times, laughed all three times, honestly. When that, when that helicopter goes down... <laughs> gets me all three times so it's it's definitely a i think it's a movie that is rare for marvel marvel to put out these days you don't need to see the rest of the marvel movies and you can still enjoy this one i mean i i agree with everything that you've just said uh with only maybe a couple minor disagreements i thought black widow was a really great return to theaters for marvel after enjoying the different tv shows they were putting out and i definitely love the MCU. I try to be aware of my own bias and not be too fanboyish when it comes to defending the MCU from its its many justified critics, but I I mean, I really like this movie. It was really great to be sitting in a theater watching a Marvel movie again and uh, pretty much like I said, everything you said, I'm on board with. I think it's a great farewell performance from Scarlett Johansson, but Florence Pugh is incredibly exciting now that she's in the MCU. It's an awesome role for her and she just sinks her teeth into it, uh, nails the comedy part of being in a Marvel movie, the banter, the witty lines, getting getting you to laugh when she's the only person on screen talking to herself, but also handling the dramatic scenes and some of the action, whatever, however much she took part in, the action very well. And David Harbour, I appreciate him in anything for the most part, so glad he was here, and Rachel Weisz uh, slumming it in the MCU, but having a good time as well. Definitely a Yo, great she cast. She looked good. <laughs> Rachel Weisz looked very Rachel good. Rachel Weisz, if you're listening, Christian is single, handsome, and ready to mingle. Isn't she married to Daniel Craig? Uh, yes. So maybe don't, don't encroach on <laughs> their marriage, perhaps. I... I, g- g- go with Daniel Craig. Go with Daniel Craig. Yeah. The Another piece that I agree with you is just the direction of this movie. I think directing Marvel movies is something that people in a critical realm and those who don't love the MCU as much love to critique, obviously, in that in many ways these movies are made in post with VFX and tons of previs, handling a lot of the action scenes. And so directors don't always get their chance to exert their influence over the whole movie. They handle the dialogue scenes, and uh, for the most part, it's the second team or the post-production crew handling a lot of the movies. But from what I could tell, Kate Shortland really did a good job with Black Widow and uses a lot of just close-ups in this movie to really powerful effects. And you're just... We forget... The power of putting beautiful people on gigantic screens and getting up close and personal with them. And somebody like Scarlett Johansson, who's been a famous Hollywood actress almost her entire life, she is just one of those people who has a face made for the movie screen. And Kate Shortland knows that and knows to fill the screen with her. And all of those close-ups work so well, and especially as she is managing these, these scenes with the four of them. 
the banter is great, but the drama hits as well. And I think the only qualm I would have with this movie is that some of the action scenes felt like they were Bs when they could have been A pluses. Particularly, you shut your dirty mouth. Partic- no, I will not. Particularly because Marvel and many other action modern action movies are obsessed with cutting, and they cut, 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 cut. When in reality, when you can rely on your stunt performers and allow them just a few more seconds in the fight scenes to do their shit like sorry for this swear word to do their stuff it is so much cooler that way and that's maybe an opinion i just love getting to see those stunt choreographers and martial artists maybe an opinion (laughs) maybe it's very in a way like jason bourne-esque with the shaky cam and rapid editing so that is a stylistic thing that i just wish marvel would drop and just let their stunt performers do their thing because they get some of the best in the business for these movies. That's what everybody behind the scenes says. And so that's my my bigger problem with Black Widow is that it continues this trend. But otherwise, I was a fan. Any Anything else you want to add? I know we kind of each just had our own moment to monologue on Black Widow there. No, I'm good. I'm looking forward to the future of these characters. Uh, Scarlett Johansson obviously does not have much of a future <laughs> as her character is dead. Uh, but everyone else, I'm excited to see how they show back up. My number three is another animated movie, so a lot of animated representation on our respective lists here, and it is a Netflix original, and that movie is The Mitchells vs. The Machines. It was directed by Mike Rianda, written by him and Jeff Rowe, notably produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who you might know from movies like 21 Jump Street or animated movies like Lego Movie. And it has, again, a large ensemble vocal cast, but the main family members are voiced by Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, and, and then a few others filling out the cast there. Uh, the Mitchells versus The Machines follows the titular Mitchells. Uh, Katie Mitchell is going off to college, film school specifically. She's very excited to go, especially because she no longer feels at home at home. Uh, she and her father clash a lot. Mom tries to mediate the chaos, and little brother tends to side with big sister. But it's this clash between father and daughter that is getting her excited to finally leave, go off and be on her own, and learn how to make movies. And unfortunately, at the same time as they are road tripping across the country to get to her university, the robot apocalypse breaks out. What do you know? And so the Mitchells have to survive, essentially, from being captured by the robots who are trying to collect all of the people for nefarious purposes. So The Mitchells vs. The Machines is a movie I had heard a lot of good things about, and so I actually downloaded it to watch on a plane (laughs) when I was taking a flight earlier this year, and I wished so dearly that I'd actually watched it on a large television because (laughs) this movie is just so much fun to look at. And when you talk about... You talked about doing things in animation when you were talking about Demon Slayer that you just can't do (laughs) in real life, no matter how excellent the post-production crew at at Marvel Studios is. Uh, But the Mitchells vs. the Machines is so vibrant and colorful, and they use all kinds of these little accents throughout the movie that the production team termed Katie Vision, having these little pop-ups on screen that kind of show the character's thoughts. If Katie is feeling excited about something, they'll have essentially emojis popping up on the screen, but they're stylized to fit with the look of the movie, so don't worry, it's not just emoji movie or redux. This movie is so fun and so vibrant and colorful and just enjoyable to look at, but there's also a very tender emotional core, especially with that father-daughter relationship. As they explore it, Katie's home videos 
continue to take center stage, both in her making them and watching them, but also the family reflecting on them. And it's a movie that genuinely touched me. I didn't sob in the car like I did with Raya and The Last Dragon, but there are some really, really touching moments in The Mitchells vs. the Machines that really balance out the, the comedy and kooky family animated comedy they're going for. So I was totally taken by it, and it claims the number three spot on my list. I, I, I've seen it, and I really enjoyed it. I do think the animation is is incredible and one of the better things that animation has done this year. Uh, I it, It's heartwarming. It honestly really is heartwarming. It's a great family movie. I think it went overboard with the cheese a little bit. The cheese? <laughs> yes. Overboard, you say? Yes. But outside of that, uh, great, great story made by the guy who did Gravity Falls. Which is a wonderful TV show. Uh, Mike Rainer worked on Gravity Falls. Yeah, I didn't know that. I never watched Gravity Falls, but I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. I should have known that. So, uh, lovely, lovely movie. Honestly, uh, Olivia Coleman pops up in this movie as the villain. Yeah, what who... is Olivia Coleman doing? <laughs> the villain <laughs> is essentially a stand-in for Siri called Pow. <laughs> She's this AI that the her creator is planning on phasing her out to introduce more sophisticated helper bots and so pal the central ai takes over the bots which is what initiates the robot apocalypse and olivia coleman fresh off her oscar nominated turn in the father <laughs> lends her voice to the mitchells versus the machines uh i good for her good for her <laughs> I just I love it when actors of that caliber pop into movies like this because it's probably a day or two of work for them and it makes the movie so much better. <laughs> like when Judy Dench showed up in Cats. I haven't seen Cats. I don't think you're gonna see Cats. Uh, probably I, I I probably will at some point. My wife's devotion to Taylor Swift is is pretty solid and so we'll get there eventually. But uh, there I yeah I don't want to I don't know. <laughs> Long live Dame Judy Dench, but maybe not in Cats. But again a bunch of lovable people in this vocal cast doug the pug notably <laughs> as well pops up making the dog sounds for their pet dog Monchi, who is one of the best dogs in a movie i've seen in a long time uh, maybe second only to brandy from once upon a time in hollywood brandy still holds the crown i would sincerely say if you have not checked out mitchell's vs. the machines it's great to watch with people but i watched it on my own on a plane i was a big fan so uh, again, Netflix original, streaming on Netflix, and go ahead and check it out. Christian, what is your number two? My number two is Malcolm and Marie, written and directed by Sam Levinson, and starring Zendaya and John David Washington. Uh, it is, it, it's, it's a story of a filmmaker and his girlfriend who come home after the filmmaker has won an award for a movie that he's had that's just premiered but who then get into a fight that started because he forgot to thank his girlfriend in his acceptance speech. And that fight and that catalyst kind of stirs up a bunch of fights throughout the rest of the movie. It's shot in black and white. It's got very interesting jazz serving as the score throughout. And it takes place over the course of just one long night. Now, Malcolm & Marie premiered earlier this year, uh, February, maybe, or... Yeah, February on Netflix. You can currently watch it on Netflix. And it's it's so... Well, one, it's beautiful to look at. And also, John David Washington and Zendaya giving some of the best performances of their careers. Legitimately. Their chemistry is incredible. And 
some people have issues with the screenplay. I'll note it. I, I, I will give credence to that, except that I don't see it. I, I really don't. It, it's a wonderful relationship movie. It's a wonderful fight movie. It, 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 it's a great um, what happens next movie. It's isolated in just one point in time. And it, it gives you a lot to think about. It literally is a movie that throws everything plus the kitchen sink into its screenplay and then leaves you as the viewer to grapple with those subjects later. It was... I'll give... I'll give pause for another moment and and, and acknowledge something. This is a white filmmaker with two black actors who tells a story that deals with the black experience in the U.S., especially in the arts. And some people have taken issue to that, and it does raise interesting questions as to who should be allowed to tell these stories. That being said, I don't... It's not that I didn't mind, but I think that he grappled with the subjects very well. I really, really think he did. And I think that not only is it well-paced, I I couldn't stop myself from watching it. That it, that is my number two, and I know that you haven't had a chance to view it. Yes, that is especially why I was so disappointed not to have watched it, which, again, it's on me. This movie's been out for months. But knowing that you had such a strong reaction to it, amidst the mixed reception it received, I did want to check it out, and so this will definitely be one that I have to watch as this year goes on, as obviously, this being this high on your list at this point in the year, there's a chance that it makes your top 10 at the end of the year. So we definitely want to be able to engage a little bit more once we get to the end of the year here. Uh, but I'm, I am curious to see how Levinson handles that, uh, as you said. Obviously, some have taken issue with it. You said he handles it well, and, and it's... Not just that he wrote and directed it, but John David Washington and Zendaya also helped produce this movie, and they were very instrumental in bringing it together. So I'm, I'm just curious to see how this movie works for me, knowing that it worked really well for you, uh, not as well for some others. But it's on Netflix if you want to check it out. Now let's go to your number two, Scott. My number two is a movie that Christian and I have already argued about. <laughs> I'm curious to see what else will come out here on the podcast. My number two is a movie that I saw recently, and that is because it is David Lowry's The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel as Sir Gawain, who is on a quest of sorts. He accepts a challenge from the eponymous Green Knight to... I guess I won't even say too much more than that. He accepts a challenge from the Green Knight, and it motivates the story for the rest of the movie. Uh, I will say... We're not going to spoil The Green Knight because it just came out, but I would strongly recommend that if you're planning on seeing this movie, go see it without listening to our conversation, our brief conversation. Skip ahead a little bit to Christian's number one. If you're not really sure about it, definitely please listen along. And of course, if you've seen it already, but I would really strongly encourage you to go in knowing as little as possible. That said, uh, The Green Knight just really, really worked for me. I have been looking forward to it for a long time. I like these kinds of medieval swords and sorcery movies, knowing David Lowry to be more on the artsy-fartsy side of the directorial spectrum than the big bombastic Hollywood-style filmmaker. I was really curious to see what he would do with this movie, and it completely worked for me. Uh, the look and visual identity of this movie is so arresting and so strong. Really reels you in just with the look alone. 
Um, the music is beautiful and sets the tone throughout. And the actors, I think, are doing an excellent job handling some medieval dialogue also mixed in with some, I wouldn't say modern dialogue, but just it's not all Middle English. Um, and Dev Patel especially is great as Gawain, going on this journey, learning to be a knight, learning to be honorable. And Christian, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know that this movie wasn't a failure for you, but it just really was not one that you enjoyed. And so I will turn it over to you. I want, I want you to share with the listeners why it didn't work for you, even though it worked so well for me. The first half hour of this movie is nothing short of a masterpiece. Beautiful imagery, beautiful imagery, imagery throughout, great setup to a quest. And then the middle part of this movie did nothing. Just pretty pictures that added nothing of substance or depth to the main character. This is, this is extremely false, but go on. And it, it, it's just plot points that seem to go nowhere that don't seem to add to the overarching quest. It's, it's uh, big fantastical things show up apparently for no reason. And I, I don't, I'm not really buying the excuse that fantasy or Arthurian legend can, can excuse it. Uh, and and I felt so torn because 45 minutes into this movie I was like this movie could top my movies of the year and then it just fell it really really did I I don't think we ever really got a sense of Dev Patel's character I think his performance was fine but the combination of his performance and the screenplay and direction didn't really give a sense of who he was I think the side characters around him were confusing and we never found out much about them or why they were there to help his character and i'll say all of that while still acknowledging uh i have less of a problem with this movie than with rye and the last dragon (laughs) i because i think that respect for the imagery here can go a long way but for me if you don't have plots you have to have strong characters I don't think this movie had strong enough characters to justify its images. Okay. So, we could do a full episode on this movie, and I could probably do a solo episode on this movie. So, I will say, uh, you were trying to reject the premise of this movie being an Arthurian legend. based on It's based on a 14th century poem called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I would push back against that, because Lowry, I think, is trying to situate the movie in a particular mode of storytelling. That being this medieval poem where mystical and magical things could happen. And of course, sometimes there were explanations, sometimes there were not. But you would run into these types of characters. There is a strong sense of of Christianity and the pagan as well. These two competing religious forces that were literally competing at the time, where you have Christianity being afraid of the pagans. Pagans, I don't know enough, enough about the history to say, you know, who often aggravated who, but there is this sense of trying to be an honorable, good Christian knight, but also magic has a huge role in the story. There's there's runes and mystical items and people coming back from the dead, and there's a lot of this kind of mysticality in The Green Knight. And with that particular mode in mind, I think at the same time, it's not a standard Hollywood blockbuster plot. Yo, homeboy loses his axe and then gets it back? Yes. With no explanation. Well, yeah, there is an explanation. No, there is not. Because 
here's a little spoiler for you. Uh, he loses his axe after being beset by robbers, runs and finds his way to a home where he meets a woman named Winifred, who he kind of discovers is maybe a spirit of some sort. She asks him to recover her head, although she has one. He does find a skull at the bottom of this pot. That was not made explicit. No, no, no. Not what you're saying. Her giving him his axe was not made explicit. Of course it's not. He falls... All that to say, something like this, where he completes this miniature quest and he gets his gets the Green Knight's axe back. It's those kinds of mystical touches that make sense to me because we're living and inhabiting this mystical Arthurian world. I, I, I'm, I'm where stuck. King Arthur himself no. either drew his sword from no. a stone. I, no. He look, I am all for filmmakers believing their audience are smart, but you cannot believe an audience is in your mind. I don't think a general audience honestly can connect to anything here. I think it's pretty impenetrable. I connected <laughs> to the pretty images, but you're no. I've been explaining to, to you for days. Images? No, it's it's the girl next to me stood up and booed when the movie was over. Kind of hilarious. Kind of hilarious. <laughs> kind of hilarious. Good for her. Wherever you are, lady. All of this is... I know that we can't go too long in this movie because we need to get to the number ones on our lists. All of this is about Gawain's journey, becoming honorable, becoming a knight. He, At the very beginning of the movie, he is talking about how he wants to be a knight, but it doesn't have a lot of direction in his life. He's not sure if he wants to you know, do all that comes, comes being a knight. The Green Knight comes along and gives him this quest, and he has the choice to be honorable, and every vignette in the movie which that's the structure it is a vignette based structure it's not a standard you know straight line plot it's a very simple plot with these vignettes and each one is about his development as he becomes honorable and now this is major spoilers so major major spoilers for the next minute at the very end of the movie spoilers he finds the green knight the green knight is returning the blow that he gave that gawain gave him and gawain cut off his head and so now the green knight will return the favor we see Gawain run away and discover his horse that has mystically appeared out of nowhere. He rides home, and then we see this 15-minute montage of his life. Uh, after the king dies, he ascends to the throne. It's, he a, it's masterful. He marries another prince, uh, princess. Marries a princess. They go to war. He loses his son. Eventually, the kingdom comes crumbling down, and he with it. And then we cut back to him sitting there with the Green Knight and realize that that was all something playing out in his head. And he removes this sash that he had been wearing, a gift from two different people in the story that would essentially allow him not to die. And his removal of that sash is the culmination of his development because he accepts his death. The honorable choice, letting the knight return the blow that he gave the to him. The mini quest in the middle did not support the ending or the beginning. The whole thing is working towards a development, and I'm confounded that you can't see that. I... It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you like this movie. We have to move on, but I would strongly encourage you to see The Green Knight. Christian, even though you didn't like it, would you encourage people to check it out and see I what the fuss is I would encourage people about? to check it out, yes. Okay. So hopefully you were able to tune back in, spoiler-free, to hear to hear that. We probably should have, I should have resisted the urge to go spoilers, but what can you do? Christian? My, okay, so here, that it's my number one. Uh, let me give a caveat. This is not actually my number one. What? No, 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 no. Here's the thing. My actual number one has not been in wide release yet. Ah, yes. You told me about this. Okay. If my number one ever becomes in wide release, everything else becomes unimportant. <laughs> uh, but I saw a post earlier today that it has a 2021 release. And so 
it, it, if, if that is true. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I want to see this movie. So. Yes, yes. Anyway. <laughs> Currently, my number one of wide release movies is Primetime, a Polish drama that I was able to see at Sundance. And if you checked out our Sundance episode, it became our number one joint movie between me and Tyler. Uh, it's directed by Jakub Piatek and written by him as well as Lukas Chapsky. And it's, it, it's a thriller movie that stars um, Bartos Bielenia as Sebastian, a man who walks into a, a Polish TV station at the turn of the century, 1999 to 2000, walks in, says, I have a bomb in my backpack. I demand airtime. And the movie just goes from there how they try to get him out of the room, how they succumb to his demands, how he tries to maintain power, the people he is around and how long he's around them, who he befriends and who becomes his enemies, deception, uh, looks into his past and looks into the future. First of all, it's a movie that I think has impeccable editing and impeccable performances also. Not just Sebastian, but also, do you remember the female reporter? Mm -hmm. I think she was phenomenal like one of honestly the better performances i've seen this year this is a portrait of anxiety and loss that came about when people didn't know what the end of the century what the end of the millennia would bring on and this it's it's such a self-contained thriller if you told me it was filmed during covid i would have completely believed it it makes perfect use of its space and it's so engaging and here's the thing. This man who walks into the room and says, I have a bomb in my backpack. I just want someone to hear me. You end up, as the movie goes on, telling yourself, let the man speak. Let the man speak. Why won't you let the man speak? I know you had, you weren't negative on it, but I know that you do not have the the affection I have for it, yes. which is a running theme. <laughs> uh, yes, similar to... Uh, your reaction on the Green Knight. We had similar star ratings, I think. I think you disliked the Green Knight more than I disliked Primetime. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Primetime. Again, great acting. Do not disagree there. I I think that my problems with it are that it's trying to be a very tense... I hesitate to say thrill ride because, you know, there's not a lot of car chases or attempted assassinations. Let may say there's no <laughs> car chases. Yes. There's not a lot of action in this movie. And so they're, they're trying to maintain this sense of tension throughout. It's a pretty taut 90 minutes as well. But there were moments throughout this movie where instead of the tension slacking a little bit so that I could catch my breath and then get caught up again, it just lagged. And I wanted to be on the edge of my seat for the entirety of the 90-minute runtime. And there were parts where I just started to feel disengaged. And I think for me... This is set at an interesting time, Y2K specifically, but also, from what I can gather in the movie, that was just a hard time for Polish youth in general, the turn of the millennia, a lot of uncertainty in their country, and I just didn't get how the broader cultural situation connected to Sebastian, especially with some choices he makes near the end of the movie. And, and so I was left a little unsatisfied by primetime, Although I did respect a lot about it, especially the acting. I, th I think I, I would, I understand that. I think that it's also fascinating when you look at what Sebastian is supposed to represent. Is he, 
are you supposed to have a clear reading of Sebastian, which some people have, which also makes sense, or one of a parental abuse, or one of mental illness. With, like, the scene that I think is the most powerful is when his dad shows up. Right. Very harrowing scene. <laughs> oh my goodness. Without any violence. <laughs> Very harrowing scene. <laughs> Which I think is actually a plus. There's no violence, really. There's no action. And yet, it's like, <laughs> I'm kind of like, who's going to die? <laughs> yeah. it That that scene especially is, is so crushing. And you realize some of the forces that have made Sebastian the person that he is. Uh, let's just say his dad is not a very good guy. Yo, his dad sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his dad is not a good person. Um, but some of those strong connected moments where you realize what Sebastian... And, and part of the um, part of his desire for airtime is he has a prepared speech, essentially. He wants to read his remarks on air. And you see, you start to wonder, what does this guy want to say? And... Uh, I'm not going to spoil it like we just spoiled the Green Knight. I hope to I hope to have, and you did not listen to the spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, where Sebastian's speech ends up, I, I was again wasn't fully satisfied with. But who's to say you won't watch this movie and have the kind of rapturous reaction that not only Christian did, but your roommate Tyler did as well? This like I'm in the minority here, not not liking primetime as much as you two. So definitely worth a watch, and it's streaming on Netflix, correct? It is currently streaming on Netflix. Highly recommend you check it out. Alrighty, our final movie of the of the top five list, uh, one that much has been made of, and I'm curious to hear some of some more of your thoughts, Christian. But my number one movie of the year so far is Bo Burnham Inside, uh, written, directed, filmed, edited by and starring Bo Burnham. Uh, it is the much buzzed about original special for Netflix that Burnham made. Essentially, almost entirely within the bounds of his living room, where not much is left to the imagination. We see his lighting setups, we see his instruments, we see the chords as he shoots these music videos, essentially, and creates new Bo Burnham songs, similar to his career beginnings, as well as leaves a few sketches in between, uh, riffing on a lot of elements of, of modern culture, things like FaceTime and Instagram, sexting, video game streaming, just a general sense of performing and riffing on all of these ideas. Uh, Bo Burnham is someone I've enjoyed for a while. I didn't start watching his YouTube videos when I was uh, preteen, but... I did come to his comedy specials later on in high school, and I've been a fan since. Not necessarily uh, an enthusiastic one, but I did tend to watch his specials as they came out, and I saw 8th Grade, and I was a really big fan of that movie, and enjoyed his acting performances in movies like The Big Sick and Last Year's Promising Young Woman, but Inside felt like a culmination of some of the things that he had been working on, and the things that he is preoccupied by as, a, as an artist. And I know that Bo Burnham, in particular, is one of these figures who is just beloved by white guys like me, <laughs> and um, is is not necessarily somebody who has uh, appeal across all cultures. But I, I I just loved this so completely and fully. I went head over heels for it. This is the thing I've seen three times this year. I've listened to the songs a ton, and um, I just really really loved it. It's my favorite thing that I've seen this year. So, Christian, any thoughts that you have on Inside? I really enjoyed it. No, I, I think the songs are memorable. I think it's one of the most poignant political critiques <laughs> that I've seen in a while. Uh, I think it's one of the most poignant just self-reflection. There's a lot of white guy angst. Yes. <laughs> so much white guy angst. 
but he does it in a very in a very almost charming way and and it's it's you really feel for him thinking i just want you to, to i just want you to be happy bo <laughs> now you uh you can look at this movie the way that you can look at a general documentary in the sense of how much do i trust that bo is being vulnerable with me like how much can i actually have confidence in what bo is saying and i do think he is being vulnerable now i would say the one issue i had though is that the movie felt a little bit too long like he was going for too many things and if he had stripped back a tad bit it would have been much more of a cohesive work of like a he only chose the mo- like what he needed to for me to see not just what he's struggling with but where his mental state is at right now other than that i haven't revisited this movie after watching it but i do love the songs i mean i keep thinking about about white woman's instagram <laughs> i think that's the best song so it's it, it I, I don't know. It, it's me thinking he does everything in this movie well, but as a cohesive, could we have done without some of it to actually see more of his vulnerability? So regarding the length, I think either, you know, you get absorbed with it like I did and you want it to live, like go on forever, or I can totally understand that reaction because it's almost 90 minutes. It's not a traditional comedy special, which are usually either 30 or 60 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. So it's long. It's not just a stand-up special. It's why I included it on this list. It is a movie to me and not necessarily just a stand-up gig. I think it can be both. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so I, I get that. Maybe wanting it to be a little reined in. Uh, and the vulnerability, that is a... a it's so hard to decipher. Because Burnham is extremely self-referential and constantly talks about how he is a white guy making fun of all the white guys who want to be listened to it's a vicious cycle because he knows he can make fun of these people and then at the same time he's a white guy that he's asking people to he wants people to listen to him now he he talks about that and whether you vibe with him and say yeah you get it you're making fun of it or you think he's being essentially calling out the problem and then just being a part of it being a part of the problem yeah that is the biggest critique against him and so i know i'm not going to win over any folks who aren't bo burnham fans but i I acknowledge those criticisms. I think they're they're fair and real. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't detract people who, from people who didn't like this. But for me, it was just it was just overwhelming. And I mean, you mentioned White Woman's Instagram. There's a part of that song that I love, where almost all of it is just a send up of this particular kind of woman on social media. One uh, may even say a white woman. <laughs> a white woman, yes. Uh, this you know very carefully curated social media page with lots of kitschy fun posts, and yet the bridge of the song he goes into. A, he slows the music down, sings quietly about this woman writing a post to her late mother. And you realize that a lot of times, of course, people tend to build social media personas because of the things they've experienced in their life. And maybe these basic white girls on Instagram that we make fun of have real pain. And introducing that to the song is just, to me, is the kind of, you know... I'm trying to think of the, the the secret ingredient that rises this special above his normal comedy. Um, it's so much of these types of songs that are touching at deeper issues, especially later on with songs like That Funny Feeling and All Eyes on Me. So strong recommendation for me. If you have not yet seen Bo Burnham's Inside, give it a chance, especially if you consider yourself a fan of his. It is also a Netflix original. And Christian, that 
comprises our two lists. Uh, why don't you go ahead and do a quick countdown uh, just to recap. My number five is Demon Slayer Mugen Train. My number four is A Glitch in the Matrix. My number three is Black Widow. My number two is Malcolm and Maria. And my number one is Primetime. And my number five is Raya and the Last Dragon. Number four, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Number three, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. Number two, The Green Knight. And number one, Bo Burnham Inside. Uh, Christian, all in all, some pretty solid lists. Uh, I know as we were putting together our honorable mentions, some of mine were on yours, some of yours were on mine, so... A lot that we have in common here of enjoying. Is there any other movies you wanted to shout out as things that you enjoyed that just didn't make the cut for this list? I'll put out two. The Father, which was an Oscar contender this year, which I do think is a beautiful portrait of a man's mental decline. Isn't The Father a 2020 movie? <laughs> it's not. It came out in 2021 in wide release. The, the rules around eligibility for these things are strange, but <laughs> I'll allow it. And The Saint Maud, which was a kind of religious horror psychological weird movie <laughs> that honestly is kind of great but i i don't think i'd recommend it to you because i i don't think you'd enjoy it <laughs> well i i almost watched it as part of my catch-up especially after you mentioned that you enjoyed it so it's on the list we'll see if i fit it in uh, a couple i want to throw out quickly um speaking of movies that competed for oscars last year judas and the black messiah which is definitely a 2021 movie having come out in february of this year uh totally worth a watch i know some people had problems with it but all in all, I think it's a really exciting biopic, and there's some incredible performances at the center from Daniel Kaluuya, who won an Oscar, and Lakeith Stanfield, who lost that Oscar to him, so definitely worth checking out. And the other one I would mention is No Sudden Move, which is Steven Soderbergh's new movie that, Christian, you and I got to see together in theaters, and it is a another crime drama that Soderbergh is returning to. One that has its problems as well. It doesn't balance its ensemble cast very well, in my opinion, but is still a, just a really great time at the movies. Looks beautiful for the most part. There's some weird fisheye lenses <laughs> that have been written much about, but all in all, worth a watch if you're looking for something to stream on HBO Max. So that's no sudden move. All right. Now, Scott, tell the people what we're going to be doing next week. That's right, folks. So thanks for tuning in to our best of 2021 so far. We'll look forward to finishing off these lists in a few months as we reflect on the year and there will be many 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 good things coming out in between and speaking of one of those movies that is going to be coming out later this month is reminiscence a movie starring hugh jackman and rebecca ferguson christian are you looking forward to this movie how, no. how do you feel <laughs> perfect because we're going to be watching it <laughs> as it will be forming the basis for our August blend of the month. I was trying I always like to wrap in a new release and so I was trying to think what could we do here? What could we do? And so I picked Reminiscence and the topic that we'll be looking at we do two other movies that are original sci-fi films directed by women. Reminiscence, of course, being uh, written and directed by Lisa Joy of Westworld fame. We'll be looking at two other movies that were directed by women because not a lot of original sci-fi comes from female filmmakers so i want to take a chance uh, while reminiscence is on our minds to check these out so the first movie we'll be looking at uh, we had one in mind that unfortunately is not streaming or available anywhere right now so we had to pivot to a different movie and that movie is deep impact directed by mimi ladere it is a 1998 movie that is probably most famous for coming out the same year as Armageddon, and both of these movies are about asteroids coming towards Earth. So <laughs> we're not going to be checking out movies uh, with critical acclaim here, folks, but Deep Impact was a huge box office success, and it made Mimi Ladere the most successful female filmmaker at the box office at the time. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. Here's hoping we can find Hidden Gem. All right. And that's our show. And that's our show. 
Uh, check out Deep Impact for next week, folks. It is streaming on Peacock and rentable a variety of other places. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Christian and I are glad to be back from our summer break, and we love putting the show together for you and discussing our top five of 2021 so far. Uh, there are a few things you can do to support the show that we would really appreciate. Number one, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners, and go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as it does help us reach new listeners at all locations. Uh, you can also drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We do love to incorporate listener feedback into the show, whether by picking a new blend of the month from your suggestions or just rating your feedback on the air. So please do send us an email. We'd love to know your thoughts on the show. You can also engage with Christian and myself on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at CinemaDrip, and I'm there as well. Christian is not as active on Twitter, but you can follow the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No. Nothing extra for you folks. Even though the show is free, you got to be waiting a bated breath for next week as we take a look at Deep Impact. Until then, he's Christian, I'm Scott, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.